0: it is so good to see you this morning Been looking forward to sharing this time and this message with you i want to add my two cents on a couple of things first sweetheart ball i am really looking forward jan and i are planning to go we got special dispensation from sarah lloyd to attend sweetheart ball i wanted to tell you why first i am just looking forward to some of your dads and i won't name any of you but i really want to see you try to ice skate I'm going to have my phone with me. Second, when else can you actually walk on water across Evergreen Lake? Third, there are few more joyful things than seeing a young daughter in the embrace of her father. I can't wait. And. Our sign-ups have been kind of slow, so I want to encourage some of you dads and remind you that the Super Bowl is not next weekend. It's in two weeks, so you won't be missing anything. There's still time to sign up. We hope to see you there. And bring your neighbors other thing I want to share is about small groups at the end of the service Paul's going to talk a bit about small groups we're entering a new season there's open groups and new groups and old groups are starting up again and it's an exciting time and we want to encourage you to be in a small group and we like to put it this way um, not for what you'll get out of it but what you you bring to it so I've been in a small group for the last six years They have become family to me. They helped me walk through some difficult seasons that Jen and I went through in the past couple of years, and they have been so, so good to us, and it's that kind of family that we need. But I need to be honest with you and tell you there are many Wednesday nights that it's the last thing I wanna do. It's a long day, I'm talked out, and I wanna watch Ozark, it's a new season. I mean, sometimes you drag yourself there And that's when you remember the point of a small group. The point of a small group is to become like Jesus and live for others. The reason I'm part of a small group is because they need to hear something from me. They need to to even embrace and handshake and just the presence of another believer is the work of the Spirit of God. So I encourage you. I encourage you to get into a small group, try something new, take a risk. We have They meet on every night of the week, all kinds of groups, intergenerational. Um, every kind of group you could imagine, please take a risk, not only for the family you'll get, but even more to become like Jesus and live for others. So let's pray. Lord, we come to a Vision Sunday, a weekend where we uh, Share a little bit how you've been working at Waterstone and some of the pictures, a vision that you're calling us to over the next year. So Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit to communicate well what you want. And even more, Lord, just give us listening from your heart and by your Spirit that we'd hear your voice today through what's shared. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are going to talk this weekend about the heart and the direction of Waterstone and what we've been hearing from God. Normally, especially if you're visiting with us, and by the way, we welcome our home audiences in, and we're so glad we can share and be together, our our online audience, we are typically preaching through a book of the Bible. And next Sunday, we're going to start a multi-week series on stories from Genesis. And I am so excited. In fact, As I've been working on the sermon this week, uh, one of the great temptations and distractions I had is I'm so excited to preach next week about Genesis chapter 1 and 2. This book, we're going to just see how from even the very beginning, from our falling and failures, God is faithful. The G in Genesis is grace. It's grace. God's grace. And so we want to invite you back these next weeks and uh, looking forward to Genesis. But today, today is about Waterstone and what Jesus is doing. My first text is from the King James Version, 1611 AD. It's Proverbs 29:18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now that verse is usually thrown out there in, in context of trying to promote, you know, strategic planning and mission statements And visionary leadership, where there's no vision, the people perish. But it's really not what the verse is about. And by the way, don't misunderstand me. Those things are really important. Leadership, ingenuity, mission statements, strategic planning. We've spent two years working on those things here at Waterstone the last two years. But that's not what that verse is about. In the modern translation, the verse reads, where there's no revelation, the people cast off Restraint. That idea of revelation is knowledge about God and from God given to a prophet to give to God's people. So it's this idea of God unveiling both himself and defining reality. Here's what life means. And so when that's happening, the people cast off restraint. That is, they're not distracted. The word for cast off there is this idea of going wild and doing your own thing. So when there's a word from God, the people flourish. When there's no word from God, people take things into their own hands, and it gets wild. Now, the historical moment behind this verse, you might remember, Exodus chapter 32, Moses goes up in Mount Horeb to get the Ten Commandments. He ends up being up there 40 days with God. By the way, can you imagine 40 straight days talking to God? What will that be? Wow. While he's doing that, the people think, oh my goodness, something's happened to Moses. Where is he? And they become impatient, and they cast off restraint. And you might remember, they form a golden calf, which was a uh, symbol of God's strength from other cultures. They start worshiping this calf, and things went south in a hurry, let's say. What we're about at Waterstone today is asking this question. What? does God want Waterstone to be, to do, to go? We want a word from God so that we don't cast off restraint and stay deeply connected to what he wants. Now, Every church, I think, wants to do this. Every church wants to take a listening posture. I would argue that that's one of the key roles of our elders, and they do it so well as they're listening. God, what do you want Waterstone to be and to do, and where do you want us to go? Our staff, when we have meetings throughout the week, most every staff meeting, someone will begin or end with, Holy Spirit, come and lead us even here in the congregation our posture of leadership at waterstone has never been one where someone like me or some like leadership group stands up in front of you and with their back to you and says we're going this way and i hope you'll come with me no it's much more circular it's much more like let's stand together in this and let's ask the lord together lord what do we need from you and what do you want for us that's the posture Of leadership at Waterstone and so we've we've been doing that and today I'd like to share some of that with you now before we do if I could indulge keep asking you to indulge I'm going to get to the point don't worry but I want to say something important and it's this that every church wants to do this and every church has and gets good vision every church has a unique culture and unique creativity and a unique calling And what must the joy of God be when one of his local churches, a localized expression of his body, says, Lord, what do you want us to do? And I'm convinced God not only loves that, but he meets churches right there, and he gives them unique callings and creativity and and, and, and a call to to pursue him. So I think it's been happening since day one in the church, and I, I want to just take a moment and kind of prove that. Remember a few years ago, we preached through Revelation, and in Revelation chapter 1, there's this amazing vision of Jesus. I actually want us to read a a part of it this morning. Revelation chapter 1, and before I read it, whenever I read this part of the Bible, the New Testament, I think of Annie Dillard and Holy the Firm. She lived in the South, was this great writer. She said that when we come to worship, we have no idea who we're dealing with. And if we did, remember she's from the south, the women would trade their hats for helmets and there'd be seatbelts in the seats. This is who we are dealing with. Revelation 1, 12, I turned around, this is the apostle John, to see the voice that was speaking to me in a vision. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair in his head was white like wool, and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." And this is a vision from Daniel, way back a thousand years almost before. In his right hand, He held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in all brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys, the authority, the control over death and Hades." The word of the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. From that vision, John goes on and he addresses seven churches in his parish in Central Asia. And every one of his personal letters to these churches begins with a line from this vision. So for one of the churches, Sardis, these are the words from the one with a double-edged sword in his mouth to another Thyatira. These are the words of the one who is the first and the last to a third church. These are the ones who holds the star, seven stars in his right hand. Each church gets a line from the vision to carry to the world. The point? No one church can capture the immensity of Jesus Christ so each church gets a line of vision each church is given a word a frame a portrait to show to the world in other words that's why red rocks is red rocks because they do worship and they reach people that we could never do and never reach that's why foothills is foothills. That's why West Bowles is West Bowles. That's why Southwest Community Church is Southwest Community Church, abiding hope, light of the world. Any church that lifts up, Jesus gets a line from the vision, a slice of the living bread to share to the world. And that, again, from God's perspective, how beautiful is the global church of God. So that's why Waterstone, it's not our goal to be Red Rocks. It's not our goal to be Southwest Community Church. It's not our goal to be any other church. It's our goal to be Waterstone. When Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to the church called staff, and we have a unique collection of staff, and we have a unique collection of individuals in this congregation who form this body and get this slice of vision, and we say to the world, here's Jesus. That's what we do. But I think it's important today that you hear our slice of vision Of the living bread that we want to give to the world. Because the goal of today is for you to leave thinking, wow, I want to be part of that. That resonates deeply. I want to have even more ownership of what's going on in this body. That's the goal of today. I used to pastor a a church in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and i was preaching one sunday morning i don't remember like what part of the bible but uh, it was much about jesus and uh, it was getting near the end of the service i was about to actually like finish in prayer and i look out and coming down the center aisle was a man named dick jerkowski dick was in his 70s at this time a bear of a man six foot five but a huge introvert in fact the only time you could get Dick Jerkowski to talk is when he would talk about birdwatching. He actually taught my youngest son, Luke, how to do birdwatching on the Cape. But outside of that, Dick would never say a word. I look up and Dick's walking down the center aisle, like right at me. I say, Dick, is everything okay? Dick says, yeah, I just need to say something. <laughs> he walks up on the platform, and we had a big pulpit there I stand aside, and Dick takes the pulpit, and he said, This message about Jesus has stoked the Jesus furnace in my heart. And then he walked off the stage. I'm telling you, our church was never the same after that. It was never the same. And my prayer this morning is that something, as we share the vision of Jesus for this church, stokes the Jesus furnace in your heart. So let's begin with a word. What's the word? It's a word that we've been saying around Waterstone for the last 38 years, since it's been founded in this current version that we call Waterstone. It comes from a verse in Mark chapter 1, Verses 14 and 15. Every time we gather, everything behind every mission, every plan, every prayer is related to this verse, related to these words of Jesus. Let me read it. After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. These are the first words, the first thing in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus says. He proclaims the good news. That's the Gospel of God. The time has come he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Some translations, it's at hand. It's now. Repent, change, align, and believe the good news. That one word that God's given to Waterstone, that is our heart, kingdom. Our goal at Waterstone has never been to build a great church. It's never been to have a Fantastic facility. Our goal at Waterstone is to obey Jesus' words in Matthew 6 seek you first the kingdom of God. That is our passion. What is the kingdom? Uh, tried to wrestle it down with a brief definition. Throughout all of Scripture, God has promised and moved to redeem and renew the whole world through the entrance of supernatural power that resides in His Son, Jesus Christ. As all things are brought back under Christ's rule and His authority, they are restored to wholeness, beauty, and freedom. That's what Jesus did when He came to us. He said, now... The power is here to begin making all things new. It's in me. Jesus talked about this in all the Gospels. The word kingdom is used 120 times, and 90 times it's on Jesus' lip, lips. If you, if you look at every major sermon and message that Jesus preached in the Gospels, it's about the kingdom. The kingdom, if I could put it this way, was the big idea... Of Jesus. And it's also what got him killed. Because when he said, the kingdom is at hand, the implication is that it's me. The implication is, I'm in charge. And so that does not play well with people like Caesar. Jesus saying, I'm in charge. And you, even you, Caesar, owe your allegiance to me. And your time's up. And he says that to every Caesar and every prime minister and every president. You owe your allegiance to me. That could get you killed. Jesus would go on and the rest of the New Testament would unpack these two major ideas about the kingdom. And again every time we gather we try to bring the kingdom in front of us and we try to have us experience what this is like the first part of unpacking what the kingdom of god means is that god's rule and reign is cosmic it's all-encompassing it's everything and everyone i don't know i'll run out of words here but it's it's all time it's all space it's every realm paul says in philippians 2 that it's Uh, Jesus rules above the earth and below the earth and in the earth. He rules over all. Every person, every work, every deed, every moment. He's in charge. One of my favorite uh, quotes that, that captures this is by the great Dutch theologian, Abraham Kuyper, who started the Free University of Amsterdam around 1900, 1901, he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus is king. He's brought the kingdom, and it is unfolding in our very midst and before our very eyes. It's cosmic. But the second piece we try to unpack when we talk about the kingdom is because it's cosmic. (laughs) It's devastating, right? It's devastating. The only way you can respond to that kind of rule is what Jesus said. Repent. Change. Align. You know, we know something about kingdoms. We know about the kingdom of Google. We know about the kingdom of Elon Musk. We know about the kingdom of Oprah. But what is it about those kingdoms? They're good kingdoms, but they can only influence. The domain of God is a sphere of control where He's in control, and we have to respond to that. Let me say it this way. If Jesus is the meaning of life, as the cosmocrator. if Jesus is the goal of history, Paul says everything in history is moving towards that moment when every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is the promise of the future through His resurrection, then we have to bow before Him. We have to align every part of our lives, every square inch of our lives have to come into orbit around Jesus the king. No one more recently has articulated that so well than Russell Moore, and he puts it this way, the kingdom of God, both now and in the age to come, is ultimately about what Paul calls being hidden with Christ in God, finding your life and mission in Jesus' own, not fitting him into the kingdom you design for yourself. For too long, we've called people to, quote, invite Jesus into your life, Jesus doesn't want to be in your life. Your life's a wreck. (laughs) Jesus calls you into his life, and his life isn't boring or purposeless or static. It's wild and exhilarating and unpredictable, and I yearn for the moment when, as an heir to the throne of the cosmos, I join with my brothers and sisters and our Galilean pioneer, Jesus, to sing out, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead. Oh, the kingdom of God is the passion of our hearts that Jesus reigns over every square inch in the universe and every square inch of our lives. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? It means at least three things. First, it means that you trust God. As we've sung our hearts to Him this morning with what Danny shared earlier, we trust Him in the good times, and we trust Him, what can we say, during the pandemic, during volatile politics, during our personal losses and our failures and our declining health and our diseases and our losses of relationship and our rebelling children and all the things we trust him we trust him because we know that we live in the in between one day when Jesus appeared he will appears he will make all things new and everything sad will come untrue but until then We trust that even now he's working a plan to get us from here to there. And the best thing of all is he promises, he promises that he will never leave us. So we trust him. The second thing we do to seek first the kingdom is we always frame our life differently than the world, than our culture. Our culture puts everything in the now. Everything's loaded. If you don't get it in this life, you won't get it. A Christian following King Jesus knows that we already have resurrection living in us, and everything is conditioned and and colored by the knowledge that nothing in this life is the final word on our life. Nothing. That we always take wisdom and we view our lives and every moment from a vantage point of eternity. We're always asking big questions, right? A hundred years from now, a thousand years from now until Jesus comes, will this really matter as much as I'm giving my heart to it? So we are conditioned by eternity. So we trust, we remember that we have now eternal life. And the third thing is we put our hope in the right place for the future. Again, our heart is drawn so often to put our hope in things that are here and now. uh, The way we look what people think of us, our job, our money, our pleasures. We, we, we love to be loved by other people. But as a believer following King Jesus, we know that none of those things can ultimately save us. And even when we get a lot of them, our hearts still yearn. Why? Because what our hearts truly yearn for is to be with the one who made us and who saved us. Seek first the kingdom of God, Waterstone. We will trust him. We will view all things from the vantage point of eternity, and we will put our hope in Jesus above all. So we've had this mission statement that we've crafted on this idea of kingdom to be a people empowered by the presence of Jesus Christ, to proclaim his kingdom and demonstrate his love, justice, and mercy to our neighbor. And what I want to do now is that's the heart of Waterstone. I want to talk about three directions of Waterstone for this coming year. The way that we make that statement visible, in other words, the way we embody the kingdom, how Jesus is moving and ruling in this world through the church, is through what we call our three rhythms transform neighbor and restore the way we make the kingdom come alive and real to people in the world is these rhythms and the first one is called transform transform is seeing jesus kingdom grow in us it's about growing it's about doing uh, spiritual disciplines finding formation it's about you know, individual times with God and times as a church with God in worship or in classes or in small groups. All of these with the goal of becoming more like Jesus. Uh, Just quickly, I want to put a passage of Scripture up there from Ephesians, and I want to argue with you just for a moment that I think this last line in this text is the most, like, stunning line in the New Testament. Paul writes about the church, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In other words, what every church should be is a place where people experience God. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling. Here's the line. I think this is the most stunning line in all the New Testament, that we are becoming a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. We are a temple, a place where God lives. Can, you, can we fathom that together? I mean, on the one hand, that makes us a lot different than the Elks Club. On the other hand, oh my goodness, what Jesus is doing through the church is the hope of the world. It's us. What privilege, what responsibility, what calling we have to be a place where people can come and experience what God's like through the Spirit living in us. You're thinking, well, how does that happen? What do you mean by this empowering presence of God that moves you and and transforms you? Uh, It means at least three things. First, It means scripture, that whenever we gather, one of the reasons why our church and most of the churches that preach Jesus, they have some kind of message and they read scripture and uh, we read scripture and we say, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. What we're saying and we understand is this is not just a book, this is a voice. Every time this is read and talked about, it is God talking to us. And we gather and we experience his presence by hearing his voice. I mean, it changes everything, right? When you know the author. Uh, A few years back, we had a flood in our office space. Pipe burst in the ceiling. Got onto my books. I heard about it. Ran as fast as I could to the office and staff. When We were pulling out books and all this. But you know what three books I was looking for above all other books? I have three books that are personally signed by one of my heroes named eugene peterson and i spent time with eugene peterson over the years before he went to heaven a few years back he signed these books i'm telling you that when you know the author the book changes and it's a conversation the other way we experience god's presence is by what we would call becoming like jesus character the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, Paul says, here's what Christ is doing in your hearts, this extreme makeover. He's, he's turning your heart to love to joy to peace to patience to goodness to kindness to suffering self-control he's and if you look at every one of those words they're all about others and how you engage others becoming like jesus means we live for others there's this amazing work going on in our hearts because god lives in us and he's working among us to say you will now live not just for yourself you don't belong to yourself you will live for me which means you will live for others So we see it in the scriptures. We see it in the spirit working in our hearts. The other main way we experience God's presence is to see what happens when brothers and sisters, because we're the children of God, we've been adopted into his family. So no matter what you think of anyone sitting near you, no matter what you think about the church, I mean, Christianity, yes, it can be um, personal, it can be intimate, but it's never private. The New Testament knows nothing of a private relationship with Jesus. Jesus. The moment you become a Christian, guess what? You have brothers and sisters, some of whom you like, some who you don't, but you love them all. And in that love, Ephesians, Paul writes, in that love of unity, all the walls are coming down. And. At Waterstone and in every church, we're tearing down walls all the time. Walls between races and ethnicities. Walls between the rich and the poor. Walls between Democrats and Republicans and libertarians. Walls between the young and the old. Walls between the married and the single. Walls between introverts and extroverts. Every wall we're tearing down so that we can be one faith one Lord, one baptism, one body, and in that oneness, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when believers dwell together in unity. That's how we experience God's presence. So what are we doing this year for this transformed rhythm and to help us see uh, the kingdom come in our personal journeys? Two things, Paul and his team Paul Joslin and uh, the Transform uh, group are working on what we're calling a discipleship pathway. For each of the rhythms, we're gonna have two or three practices That these are what it means to grow in Christ. These are what it means to become a fully formed disciple. And then we're going to start designing all our classes and small groups around that pathway. One of the things I'm most excited about, we're always going to be a church of small groups at uh, Waterstone. It's just kind of in our DNA. But we're also going to begin adding some other things to this idea. Like for this semester of small groups, we're going to give small groups more options and choices as to what they study together. We're going to gently guide them to certain ways and certain things, but uh, more options. But w- the other thing I'm really excited, this fall, we don't have all the plans put in place yet, but be watching for it. We're going to start a midweek uh, meeting where we meet for supper, have a community meal together, and all our kids are here because kids' ministry will be happening, youth, everything on Wednesday nights, let's say, all here, and then after the dinner, everyone goes, and the kids go have their fun, and the adults break into three or four classes, classes like what does it mean to live the spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting. Another class on theology, what does it mean to understand different doctrines about Jesus and God. A class on how to share your faith So those kinds of classes that help us become even more skilled and devoted disciples. So that's the transform rhythm. That's what we're excited about this year. The next rhythm is neighboring. You hear that a lot around Waterstone. Neighboring is seeing God's kingdom come in others. As Jesus was being hoisted back to heaven in the ascension so the Holy Spirit could come and start to blow over the church, uh, he said, go into all the world and make disciples, go. And this idea of making disciples is much about conversations with other people about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. We want to be that kind of church. We want to be an authentic church that says this, look, if Jesus is that important to us, we will talk about him. And we want to be the kind of authentic church that says, look, if I truly love my neighbor, then I will figure out a way to talk to them about who Jesus is. We like to talk about it as payway, right? Payway, P-E-I, prayer. What you're gonna be seeing is prayer. Again, we're gonna have these just moments, monthly reminders that, hey, are you praying for your neighbors? Pray that God will bless them, that will flourish their life, that will give them good health, and pray that God will reveal himself to them. Second, you engage them in a non stocking sort of way every time you see them out you drop what you're doing priorities you drop what you're doing and you go have a conversation because our lives unfold one conversation at a time you want to be on the end of as many of those with your neighbors as you can and each conversation takes you a little deeper a little more tilling of the soil, a little more relational currency you have in that relationship. And the Holy Spirit will guide you when to do the third thing, and that's to invite them. Invite them to your table. Invite them to a party. Invite them to something here at Waterstone, which gets to the second thing. We are going to be really fiercely focused on providing you six to eight neighboring environments where you can bring someone, your neighbor, who you've been talking to, to a positive experience with Christians who they will learn are not all wackos. That was a joke, right? (laughs) They will get to see that a church can be just like this amazingly good and fun place. So come to the Sweetheart Ball, that's one. You know, we're going to have the fall festival. We're going to have Night at the Brewery. We're going to have a lot of things we've done. And Brooke Schmidt, knowing Brooke, is going to have like six other new ones. And we're going to keep offering our Alpha course. Alpha is a, is a course designed for your unbelieving neighbors, a course where they can come and share a meal together, a hospitality, watch a short film about Jesus, and then sit in a group and ask any kind of question about God, the universe, and other things. A place to process life. The marriage course is the same way and designed to do similar things, only under the uh, context of marriage. So that's neighboring. I want to add one quick detail about this neighboring has changed. Over the last years, the, for my first three decades in ministry, pretty much, the idea of evangelism or neighboring was hey, invite your neighbor to church, and at church, they'll hear about Jesus. That's changing. Pew Research Center, one out of every five people in America no longer have any religious affiliation. One out of three if you're under age 30. No religious connection. Our culture is becoming more and more and more secular. And there's something strangely encouraging about going back to the days of the early church when the same conditions existed. And what has to happen is it's no longer what happens in here. We gain voice and we gain credibility in the culture when we leave here and go into the culture and develop relationships through hospitality, conversation, and uh, hanging out. I'm excited about. It. I mean, our tools have to change, right? It's no longer about trying to get people here; it's trying to get you there, engaging your neighbors. That's going to be our tactic. That's our passion. Lewis and Clark, uh, they uh, thought there'd be a waterway through through the entire country. Canoeing expedition, they get up the headwaters of the Missouri. They look to the west. They were expecting to see the waves of the Pacific Ocean. And what do they see? Iowa. And immediately, their expedition became a hiking expedition. And different tools are required. Folks, different tools are required for us to reach our culture now. They're there these. Our, our growing secular culture. Next, next slide, please. our growing secular culture is there there we go our growing secular culture requires the reframing of church strategy from a sanctuary-based membership-based religious and life service provider to a local mission outpost where the congregation is equipped to proclaim and demonstrate God's kingdom to our neighbor each week we send out go our congregation as the presence of God the holy spirit living in us going into the world crossing boundaries, proclaiming, praying, healing, loving, serving, these bearing witness to the reign of Christ. So our strategy is changing. It's not any longer come here. It's we go to our neighbor. Third thing, last rhythm, restore. Restore is seeing God's kingdom come to the broken systems in our world. Restore is about Micah 6, 8, right? Do justice, Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Do justice. Give a voice to the voiceless. Speak for those who are oppressed. Speak for those who have no power. Speak for those who are poor and in the margins of society. Speak and serve them sacrificially and radically with your generosity. Lift them up. Do justice. Love mercy. At Waterstone, We've particularly been hearing God's voice more and more that we have to demonstrate that to our culture. Our culture's watching us. They're watching the church. They're watching how we engage the poor. They're watching how we engage other ethnicities and races. And we want to be the kind of church that is a preview. If they're watching, we are a preview of what heaven will be like when everything's done. Every tribe, every language, every nation, before God's throne, together in worship. We want that now. We want to be the kind of church that's pursuing that. So what does that mean? It means creative and abundant opportunities. Um, Baylor University has done a ton of research, and they have this theory called contact theory. And when you hear it, you're going to go, duh. Do you know what contact theory is? Massive amount of reading and pages and research. Here it is, contact theory. If you spend time with a person of a different race, you will grow to like them. (laughs) It's that simple, and we never do it. So one of the things we're after is to create those opportunities for us to go or to invite, to be together with people of different ethnicities and spend time. We're gonna leverage our strategic partnerships around the city, like Cross Purposes downtown, Open Door downtown, all kinds of partners that we have that will get us interacting with the poor and interacting with people of different ethnicities and and different backgrounds. And lastly, Kylie Waters and her uh, justice group is going to spend a lot of time in 2022 Just listening, listening. Where they're planning to sit down with people of color at Waterstone and ask them some hard questions. What's it like to be a person of color where it's a predominantly white church? What's it like? Where are blind spots? Where do you feel most excluded? How can we be welcoming? Those kinds of questions. We're gonna do it with people in our community. We're going to leverage again our strategic partners who are doing it in the city. We want to learn, learn how to be a vision of heaven now. That's the heart of Waterstone, the kingdom of God. That's how we're going to make the kingdom visible, transform kingdom in us, neighbor kingdom in others, and restore the kingdom in the broken systems of our world. Can I share one more thing and then will be done. I am most encouraged about this because we're coming into a time for all these three things when millennials lead. Millennial born between 1980 and 2000, they're in their early 20s to early 40s, they are now taking the levers of leadership in the church and they are beginning to lead. And I have never been more encouraged about the future of the church. And I want to tell you why. Millennials, they have a different frame of life. Some of you parents of growing kids are saying, you think? But here it is. Here it is. For years and years, we've operated, us boomers and Gen Xers, on the enlightenment theory of life, which means if you talk about it enough and and debate and discuss It'll get to your heart, and then it'll get to your hands. For millennials, it's the exact opposite. They want to see it and experience it first. Then it gets into the heart, and then it gets to pursuing the right way to think about it. It's the exact opposite opposite way. That's why one of the favorite books I've read on the millennials is the, the uh, New Copernicans, like the scientific revolution. It's a completely different way of framing life. But I would argue, until the Enlightenment, it was always the way the church viewed the engagement and absorption of truth. We're creatures that run on desire. And I think this is how we have to, uh, to our culture, invite them in is through, hey, do you want to see what God's like? Come experience Him with us. The millennials are masters at this. I'll prove it to you. Do you remember the commercial with Matthew McConaughey driving Lincolns out in the desert? And Matthew McConaughey says, well, all right, all right, all right. (laughs) Before I was paid to do this, I used to drive a Lincoln. I drove a Lincoln before it was cool. I drove a Lincoln not to make a statement. Do you know why I drive a Lincoln? I just like it. Do you know that sales increased the year those commercials ran by 25%? Now that may have been Matthew McConaughey, I I don't know. But if you think about it, they're not really selling Lincolns, are they? They're selling the experience of a Lincoln. Imagine if we can be the kind of place where people come in And they say, I don't know and understand all that they're talking about or what they're doing, but I just like it. The millennials can lead us there. Take a look on the screens. Our Vision 2022 Waterstone Community Church.
1: Our mission at Waterstone is to be a people empowered by the presence of Jesus Christ to proclaim his kingdom and demonstrate his love, justice, and mercy to our neighbor. With this mission in mind, we aspire to be a church that becomes more like Jesus and lives for others. When Jesus lived on earth in human form, his rule and reign broke into history in a new and unprecedented way through his life of love. Jesus lived to tirelessly benefit others. And just before he returned to his father, he said to his followers, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Join Waterstone as we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, we will focus on growing as disciples, engaging in justice, connecting with one another, and sharing the way of Jesus with our neighbors.
2: We hear the language follower of Jesus a lot, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? At Waterstone, we believe that following Jesus at its center, the primary idea of it is reorienting our lives around this idea of becoming more like Jesus. That as we experience and encounter the person of Christ, he shapes and molds and transforms us more into his person and his likeness so that we can follow him into the world with his love.
3: We are all on a journey of learning and building an understanding of the ideas of biblical justice and how to create a more diverse community at Waterstone. We all have a part to play and the ways that we live it out might look different, but we've always said that we're gonna be a place where we agree to disagree. The place that we wanna find agreement is in the, in the fact that all people who are God's creation and bear his image are valued. We see this in the ways of Jesus' ministry and how he walked with those that were on the margins of society.
4: And we believe that as Christians, we're called to do the same. The church is not a building. We are a gathering of people that get to take Jesus' message outside these walls and reach out to people, connect with them, and truly care for them through our words and our actions. Together, we can be a stronger church outside these walls when we take the time to get to know each other and engage while we're here.
2: We believe that many of us are hungry for a deeper level of discipleship in our lives. We're hungry for more Jesus and more growth. And we believe that one of the primary functions of the church is making healthy disciples. And so throughout the year, you're going to see a lot of opportunities to engage with this uh, level of discipleship that I think we're all longing for, whether that's Sunday morning worship, podcasts, classes, or even small groups. We're going to be creating new opportunities for you to engage with this idea of becoming more like Jesus as we follow him
3: goal is to listen and learn from those in our congregation that are not part of the majority culture. We need to hear their stories, listen to their perspectives before we think we know what we're doing. It's a season of building awareness and as well as doing that we have a lot of local partners that can help us in this as we build relationships with people that are different than us and learn from them. In all that we do around justice, we want to remember that there is a place for people from all walks of life and all backgrounds in the kingdom of God. And this gives us just a glimpse of what's to come in eternity when we get to experience the fully reconciled
4: kingdom of God. It takes all of us to be vulnerable and share our story so that we can invite others to find their story within God's bigger story. And we do this by engaging in conversation with each other and with people who don't know Jesus on a regular basis, by praying for each other and our neighbors and those in our community regularly so that we can become a part of each other's hearts and lives and by practicing hospitality through simple acts that pursue relationship and earn us the right to be able to invite someone to explore a life with Jesus. You guys, it doesn't have to be epic
1: but it does have to be intentional. May we be a church that lives for others so that others see Jesus.
0: Back from visiting my parents, I was in the Harrisburg airport and uh, I quickly figured out that there was this group of 15 young men who were Marine recruits on their way to boot camp. Struck up conversation with them. I'm a military brat. We talked about a lot of things. We get on the plane. It's like a a college party, right? They're just having a great old time. Until the plane left the gate and started moving backwards. And then it became deathly quiet. And one of the Marine recruits said, oh, boy. No turning back. I'm wondering if Jesus has stoked the Jesus furnace in your heart. I'm wondering if you're willing to join us this year, deeper ownership, deeper lever of participation, and say, oh boy, here we go. Let's stand, let's sing our hearts, to wanting the vision of God. Now let's uh, finish by singing on vision this morning.